0: My tummy keeps rumbling, and I keep wondering if my microphone's picking up. Put the mic by it. Put <laughs> the microphone by your tummy when it rumbles.
1: <laughs> Hello. Welcome to The Real Work Podcast with me, Fleur Emery. Unedited conversations with women who are changing up the world of work extraordinary women who are founders thought leaders or trailblazers here to inspire and inform your idea of what's possible for you hello welcome to the real Work podcast and this week my guest is pippa murray the founder of nut butter company Pip and nut um hopefully you've got her products in your cupboard i certainly have they're pretty moorish she started the business about moorish Can we use what does that mean more-ish. pretty moorish yeah. is that the best way i can describe a range of products that's like what you again? say
0: about fondant fancies isn't it oh naughty I mean, moorish that's terrible <laughs> she's a, she's a i should be saying that she's a compelling
1: entrepreneur that she's one of you know she's the lead, leading the way in her generation with a with a b corp in year five and anyway she, it's a great interview didn't you think
0: yeah, I enjoyed it's it until interview. the bit at the end where you get a bit deep. So um, well, when I talked about um, the end of the world being imminent according to science, yeah, I stopped enjoying yeah. it at that point. But hopefully, um, hopefully, our listeners will will continue to the end. We looped back yeah. to um,
1: peanut butter. Yes, but, but stay with it. You know, there's some there's some laughs. There's some like there. and actually she um Pippa was pretty frank about a pretty catastrophic mistake that was made, which um, was quite bum bum clenching. So it's the the highs but also the lows and then a bit of um um sort of end of the world sort of stuff chucked in just to give you nightmares. Enjoy. <laughs> Boom, boom, boom. Hi, Pitt. Welcome to the Real Work podcast. Thank you very much for having me. You were kind enough to be a guest when I was experimenting with podcasting a little while ago. And we've evolved since then. We actually have equipment. We actually know how to make a podcast now. <laughs> yeah, it's very slick. So, um, very slick indeed. Isn't it? Yeah. We've got a system thanks to producer Buckus. This morning, however, we've got a bit of background noise because I've got a laptop that seems to be self fanning in the hot weather and also I'm um, on a little getaway at my friend's house and so I'm currently as you can see in my friend's son's bedroom surrounded by Beano annuals in the bunk beds <laughs> I've his yeah bunk I did wonder into that the studio. <laughs> doesn't that's look like your normal setting. I am it's definitely not where are you um podcasting from today so
2: I am in my flat in North London in Newington Green so yeah just chilling here for this afternoon or, or this recording
1: so i've told a few people that we're doing this podcast and even non-food industry people know you now your fame is um like an ink blot is um, seeping out into regular parlance and the reason is because people have this stuff in their cupboard i'm staying with a friend it's in the cupboard it's um that's incredible.
2: Yeah, so it is a it's a weird one because it happens it sort of just creeps, doesn't it? Um
1: Yeah.
2: And yeah, I still sometimes when I introduce myself I expect people to not really know what the brand is. I mean, lots of people don't still, but um you know, you can kind of tell the sort of people that might. Um and I so I still like go in assuming that people will draw a bit of a blank when I say Pippin Nut. Um but it's getting lesser sort of fewer and fewer occasions where that happens. It's really cool. And
1: the good part is the reaction is so warm mm. yeah there's a lot People's, of love yeah there really is yeah how how long since it all began i mean i i know but i can't actually remember since. three years in my mind no it's no. been
2: much longer than that Seven. Um, yeah so
1: we so know- can't be. I, I was childless yes. and i was living in soho so it must have been you can measure
2: it by the length of your daughter's age, basically. So yeah, about yeah, six, six and a half years we've been going trading. Um, but it took a couple of years before that to set it up. So
0: Crikey. I feel like I've
2: been living and breathing it for about eight years now. So um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where the time's gone. I really don't. But it, yeah, it feels like yesterday at the same time. It really
1: does, some of it. Mm. Some we've got I've got some really happy memories from those those beginning I know, days. Yeah. Of like that it's so funny, isn't it, now? Because if you went back in time, I have the same experience with Grasshopper that at the beginning, it's so <laughs> hair-raising. It's so kind of just like when you just don't know what's going to happen and it's so up and down. But at the same time, before you know anything, it's quite an innocent time, isn't it? It's quite – there's something very – because you just don't know – what you're driving into at full speed.
2: Yeah, but and, and it's funny because I, I, in my mind, I was like, it also felt like very simple as well back then. It's, you know, mm-hmm. it's just about you make a really good product, you put it in a jar, you get it onto a shelf and bish, bash, bosh. Um, it, but I feel like when I think about the business now, it feels a lot more Complicated, there's a lot more people management and team stuff that kind of takes up probably, I don't know, 70% of my headspace. So it's a, it's a really different business. But I almost think you can't really, I don't think I ever really thought about what the business would actually feel like and operate and what my job would be at this point in time versus that early stage where you just focused on like just being a bit more creative and just like making a product and talking to people about it. I don't know, it's, it seemed like a, a simpler time
1: back then. I'm well known for disliking memes, but there's a kind, there's a meme thread that goes round, isn't there? Sort of what people think I do all day versus what I do all day. Yeah, are yeah. You, are you familiar with yeah, those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, what would um, what would yours be? People, what do people think you do all day?
2: I think people think that I do. If, if I think about what my sisters probably think, because I think they are all very yeah. different jobs to me, so I bet they they all think that I hang out on social media all day. Sort of posting pictures of peanut butter and myself you know doing little videos and stuff like that and sort of flouncing <laughs> around a bit whereas in, re- in reality i feel like i'm particularly in the, at the moment in the last sort of uh, since covid hit as well um digging through excel spreadsheets trying to like coach team members um and kind of work with them collaboratively um pitching to buyers there's a lot more numbers and commercial than i think people realize that goes into the back end of it but also yeah i mean at the moment my head's in like three-year planning um which i find really difficult when you're sort of sat at your desk and you're trying to be inspired and you're like i need to get out i need to go in. um you know, talk talk to my team and be in a sort of slightly more, less day to day kind of
1: mindset. The team aspect. When when did that when does that start sort of happening? At what stage in the business did you sort of start?
2: I think it really starts happening when. Um, so we're a team of there's twenty five of us now, and we I think that really felt like I was managing a, a team. When it tipped into having like a senior leadership team, so I've got like a you know marketing director, finance director, you know head of ops and uh, sales director, and I think having no longer kind of managing the doing, but kind of managing the people, managing the teams, if you know what I mean. Like that feels quite different to when it was just like six or seven of us sort of all doing a bit of the you know packing the boxes, loading the van, kind of kind of vibe. And and it's when you have to start setting like more clearer strategies and being more clear about your decision making and things like that that I think it started to shift so I'd say that it was probably more like year four or five where it really felt like my role shifted from being like a doer and just like cracking on with everything and doing it all myself to kind of having to be a bit more directive and um a bit more kind of slightly higher level although we're still tiny so you know um there's still a lot of doing behind the scenes as well.
1: I think you've managed it better than you expected
2: I think I think you kind of ease into it I still find at points I mean that classic imposter syndrome kicks in and you kind of feel like you're just sort of you literally oh well, partially because you are making it up and but I think I think ultimately I think most of the time it's a you know, if you've got like, it's not necessarily about smarts all the time. I think it's about like have a good, if you've got a good EQ and can read people and work with people and, and, you know, be open about what you don't know and what you do know and, and what you add, where you add value. I think that starts to help. I think in sort of understanding how you kind of, what your role is and stuff. But, you know, it's funny when you're a founder of a business, cause like, you're not a classic leader trained CEO. You don't have all like the, the toolkit that you can just roll out and, and um you know being there done that kind of vibe so some of it you feel like you literally are the blind leading the blind at times so but yeah i think i think getting getting to grips with it now and um but yeah every so often you get a wobbly day
1: what do your um, team report back what do they say it's like working for you
2: gosh what do they say um i, I mean i think I think they, they, they get a good level of autonomy. I think that they would say that yeah, I give them yeah. freedom to do what they yeah. want.
1: That's what I've got to offer when with real work. That's sort of what's... One of the things that is on offer is that I'm not going to be checking up on you. Yeah. And that you get to sort of flex your muscles.
2: Yeah, exactly. And and genuinely, because there are stuff that they're doing that I I don't know how to do. So, so <laughs> there's, a like there's a humility in
1: that. Yeah, there's a humility in that. An openness yeah. saying... You know, I don't know much about that. I know you do, so. Exactly. And I think, you know, what one
2: of the things that I find actually quite, I think is also quite useful when you're kind of a founder running a business that necessarily, doesn't necessarily have like specific skill sets in accounting or operations and supply chain is that you know that what you add value is that, is that you know the brand through and through, you know everything about it from day dot, like, you know, yeah. it's your absolute baby and no one else has that level of insight. So whilst you might not be able to go into the intricacies of how you kind of forecast your the supply chain and manage all the kind of stockholding, as an example, you what you do know is you know like a lot about, you know a lot about, but not very deep, if you know what I mean. Like, you know a lot about everything about the brand. And I think that's the kind of real added value. And obviously you're intrinsically linked to everything. So you have a really good feel of of the business. So you kind of, sometimes I get a bit wobbly about the fact that I don't know, I don't know how to do some of this technical stuff. But then the other half of me is like, well, I just don't need to learn that. It's not my job, but my job is to know a lot about everything or a little about a lot, if you know what I mean. That's the phrase that I was looking for. Um, and that almost kind of helps me kind of, relax again when I kind of go into a bit of a spiral.
1: One of the things we talk about a lot in real work is having like knowing who, knowing who you are and you know, as you discover, as you understand more about who you are and how you function and building a business that supports that. So for example, one of the things that we're doing in real work is making an app. And we just did a minute seed fund thing to just to scope that out. We had a whip round basically, and you know, there's these clever things about putting companies in, you know, splitting off companies, and the IP owns that is owned by the IP, and you have shares in this, not in that. So i you know, I've been around. I know how people do these things, and I just thought, oh, maybe I should do that and be more grown up because I haven't been that good at like generating those of money. So I thought, come on, let's come on, flood, get a bit tastier. And um, do something like that. And then once we started, I just thought it's just not for me, Pippa, because hmm. I like to I like to know where I am all the time. So I kind of like to I, I don't mind taking my hands off the system if I understand the system. I like to know what's under the bonnet and how the machine works. I don't and making it too complex, even though theoretically he could it could generate more cash for me in 10 years time yeah. it's not worth it because i don't sleep as well it's on my mind and i'd compulsively check things whereas you know if i've got a set number of apps that i can look at and just eyeball and kind of see if something's changing then it makes me happier it makes me work better so we constantly make those judgments don't yeah. we about who, who's doing what do you do you, um, what are you concluding about Siri's getting involved, I think? I think, um, you know, the Apple virtual assistant that apparently yeah, yeah, is quite yeah. involved in my life, even though I've never asked it to do anything. <laughs> it's just automatically switched itself on as listening to us. Siri, what, let's ask Siri. Is he called Siri
0: on this? I think Hello? so, yeah. Are you Siri? He's,
1: he's making a note of everything.
0: Oh, is it Google Chrome? Switch off,
1: Siri. Switch off. I think it's... We mentioned something and triggered it. I've got it. no idea. Do you know? Do you ever use those things? Automatic assistants. I've never use it. Have you but got it an does, Alexa? It does pop up? Have you got an Alexa? No, I. I find
2: them really creepy. So yeah, I, I find don't find them that. really
1: creepy. People have them like they have electronic hoovers, don't they? They say, "Alexa, Hoover the floor,"
0: <laughs> and Gosh, then this
1: robot this comes out song. and goes. No, mm-hmm. <gasps> mm-hmm. the house where I'm living, there's an Alexa. Mm-hmm. And
2: your friend's oh, house. funny, so it's something going What's on. What's she
1: saying? It's
0: explaining to you what a Hoover is. it's saying, is. Alexa's explaining
1: to us what a Hoover is. It's a device <laughs> using a vacuum to clean a domestic area. Gosh. Oh my god. We're always being, listening, aren't they? We're always listening and uh, let's go back a step <laughs> so my curiosity having known you and worked alongside you closely when you're a nascent founder when you were you know just an enthusiastic young woman with a lot of ambition learning on the job how do you find yourself to be what kind of what kind of um leader are you mm. with, with your group
2: um so i think i am very I mean more broadly I'm very open and honest with him I'm I'm I I do wear my heart on the sleeve I think in terms of I'm I'm pretty um yeah passionate obviously about the brand and what we do and, and really try and get as many people to kind of see that as much as possible and but I think if i i you know from a kind of how i lead the business i'm very much more on like the brand brand marketing side like i do touch upon commercials and all the finances and stuff like that that's um you know you can't not but you know that's where i do spend more of my time particularly on the food innovation that's like the actual passion point for me i just i love that that aspect and kind of probably if i deep dive into any area it'll be be that so i'll kind of rootle around so i'll get a bit more hands on there but um, yeah I, th- I don't know it's a, it's a hard one I think in terms of like completely articulating kind of what kind of leader I am because I'm still kind of figuring that one out but I think ultimately Is it a
1: cringe when I say that?
2: No I, not at all I, don't, I think it's kind of uh, I think it's a really relevant question and one that I've spent a lot of time sort of figuring out but I I did a bit of work with a coach well back and I was trying to figure out what my leadership style was. And, um, we ended up landing on this optimistic risk taker. So I'm an eternal optimistic optimist. I'll always see the sunny side. Um, I've got relatively high threshold when it comes to risk. I don't mind sort of throwing myself out there or or taking some risk. And and I think that for me is like (laughs) sort of a phrase that I kind of take to, My senior leadership team or kind of talk to other people about in terms of like I guess what my approach is which does sometimes mean that I do need people to balance me out I will always round things up rather than down and Mm. and that's often where sometimes it's caught me out and and certainly now like you kind of have a bit more of a balance of a few people that see more of like perhaps the downside of things. And it's really helped in terms of making sure that I'm not completely like overstretching the team or overstretching the, the business generally. Cause I'll always assume everything's going to land. It's all going to be all right. Um, so yeah. Well,
1: the other thing Pip, is that it did. Yeah. That's You know, it's like a, a lot went right. So that became, you know, that was normal for quite a while. Mm. So when, when you have a, I had a first sort of couple of hiccups it is a bit shocking isn't it when when yeah because it was like that with grasshopper I mean it was it's a much smaller version but it was so there were so few independent brands then that mm. sort of it was almost just like you would just walk towards a door and it would open and everyone would be pleased to hear from you because it was really you know people were really crying out for stuff that wasn't just made by Nestle yeah and um and it just everyone just said oh yeah we'll have that yeah, we will have that and so i did start feeling like i was a genius mm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and um so there was a bit of an attitude correction that needed to occur and it was quite it's it's yeah it's quite hard that balance because you need you need that confidence
2: yeah and absolutely i think that um but and you need some you need some of the things like some of the stuff to hit the fan because it, it allows you to I, you generally do learn through it, and that's like the like, cliche thing that everyone always says. But you do learn through all like the really awful moments, and also, I think that's sort of what makes you kind of quite more level headed as you get through, run through mm. your business. you've got that kind of backbone of like some things that have gone royally sort of tits up because you've you've messed up, and and the first few times it happens, you you kind of explode and everything like it feels really chaotic, but then. Uh, I find now when things go wrong, I'd, I would to of say it really ha- would have to be pretty monumental for it to feel like, um, something that would like flap, flap me and, and really kind of, you know, fluster me. Cause I, I, I don't find I react very much anymore. And I think that's partially also probably one of my traits as well is that I am really quite laid back when it comes to some of the stuff that, I'm working on and if I think about it too much or if I think about too much about like our payroll how much we spend every month on salaries and how many people are relying on decisions that I'm making to make sure they've still got a job in a year like that I just my brain doesn't naturally drift there so I tend to just sort of yeah sit in quite a relaxed sort of state and and I think it's partially down to some of the big things that happened in the early couple of first couple of years that really rocked the boat and I kind of um learned from from that and don't really find that I get um stressed at the moment i say that i'm still um, can be every so often
1: as podcast host you know it is my duty to now delve into those i know and you know all of them
2: as well so i know exactly where you're gonna go i'm not
1: i don't i don't want to i don't want to pull your dirty knickers (laughs) out but you know get get them out yourself what what we're gonna unpack give us an example one example I think I think I mean we've spoken about this before, and I think one of
2: the biggest challenges that I had was um, right in the early days. It was a couple a couple of years in, and I remember the I, the night before I had won this Woman in Business Award, and I remember being really like proud and thinking yeah I'm really nailing Aww. this like you know we've just gone and you had a new outfit a new outfit had gone to, you know it was business doing really well we we're in Sainsbury's and you know we we're in cardo and all these different independent stores and like whole food really like good distribution like stuff that I was like right we're trucking and I remember won this award and was like right I'm gonna give myself a day off I'm gonna like get my nails done all the stuff that you do to try and relax and stuff and I remember getting a call very early in that morning about sort of ten, um, from someone in my team saying that the Food Standards Authority were gonna come to the office at which they thought was our factory, um, because they um were issuing a product recall and I remember at that moment being like, I don't even really know what is entailed in a product recall is that something that's legal i don't know i knew nothing about it and turned out there was a problem with one of our products quite a big problem um with our one of our products like a coconut almond butter and we ended up having to recall like thousands and thousands of products across our out of the stores but also um Sadly, destroy loads of products in our warehouse. It cost us about in total uh, about nearly two hundred and fifty thousand pounds. It was it was really quite significant, and it kind of was one of those problems that kind of the onion peel thing, where you have an initial sort of problem, a small batch of products, and then you peel back the onion, and you are like, okay, this this runs deeper. And I remember it lasted for about three months in terms of really getting a grip on it and understanding the full cost and implication on it. And it's the only time I've ever cried on the phone to a retailer. I remember giving the the Sainsbury's buyer a call because you have to call all your retailers and let them know that you're going to have to recall a product. And it's the worst thing for a buyer because it's a real headache for them. Um, and I remember her telling me, and quite rightly, that they were having to fine us for every store that we had to, to pull the product out of. So I can't remember exactly how much it cost per store, but I remember... That was like the straw that hit the camel's back. I remember just thinking, <laughs> just couldn't handle it. I was like another cost that was hitting us. Um, and it was really stressful because I think when you're, you're making a food product, we make amazing products and to the highest standard. So when something like this happens, not only does it completely throw you, but also there's also a risk from a kind of food safety perspective. That's the bigger stress amongst this whole thing. Cause you, you've got a product that, you know, with people are eating. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, we handle allergens and things that are really serious. So it was a real big, which sounds a bit stupid, perhaps, but real big penny drop moment where, you know, whilst you should work collaboratively with a manufacturer, you should really make sure that, um, you know, your partners, but actually at the end of the day, this is your brand yes, and yes. you're responsible yeah. for it. And you should be pushing them and checking everything and being all over it never trust anything that someone says really make sure you've got evidence and, and validating things that people are saying and it was a bit of like a lesson learnt of being like okay that's where sometimes I think naivety is a really good thing because you can kind of be quite um you know ask stupid questions and get away with things but in this instance it just it's just you can't you've got to be all over it you've got to have the experts involved. So. Yeah, I think that was a particular case in point where, and that and that really, honestly, is the one time that I think now when I think about most things that hit hit the fan, like it's never as bad as that. So I don't really get too stressed because there's nothing worse than something that's a kind of a risk to a consumer when uh, even if they just get a bad experience, it's, it, that's bad. But if it's a risk to them, then that's really serious. So yeah, that's my my horror story. Um, it's laid quite out bad to be you. fair. Quite, it was a bad quite... one.
1: That's <laughs> quite a heavy one, isn't it? In um, when I had a a beer company, Green and Pleasant, we gassed the um, we put too much gas in the shandy. Yeah. And um, it was being sold, you know, in cardo and um, Amazon and stuff, and it was in glass bottles, and it started exploding in people's homes. Yeah. Oh. That's the thing yeah. with food products. Like, like... this is so much that can go wrong. Oh, my goodness. And if you – it's so hard, though, because if you think about that at the beginning, I remember talking to you about peanut allergies in my front room mm. at the beginning. We are like, obviously, yeah, like, peanut's, like, really allergic-y. Um, so, <laughs> like, we, like, definitely, <laughs> like, definitely need to have that on the label somewhere, <laughs> you know. And uh, yeah, I think I think that's all right there for the moment. You know, like move on, move on. And and if you really got bogged down into thinking heavily about that, you just would never start. You'd just be frozen with fear. So you just kind of have to move, move through it, and just and and keep going. And unfortunately, in your case, the worst thing happened. isn't it? It's just a roll of the dice that, that happened. Uh, The shame, you know, observing from the outside, you dealt with it really well in terms of, like, keeping calm and just doing the next right thing and just taking the best advice and calling things, you know, on day-to-day basis. But I feel like it was hard to watch because your success up to that point had been so golden. They'd been so, you know, within the sort of independent food brand scene, there were so many other young people trying to do do it and you were the one who it was working for and Mm. you know we were looking and and people were sort of looking to that and just thinking oh wow maybe you know things are possible the world the world of food is changing the way people do business is changing you know there's it was such a hopeful time and you'd what you'd won by by doing that was um you know your turnover had been really great and then it just Mm. got ripped away all that profit that you know just (laughs) It's just like here oh, here's what you could have won. You -hmm. know, because your turnover has been so great and then to just have so much take taken out like that is just (laughs) brutal. It was brutal, but you know, it
2: over the last six years you do realize that these just things just happen all the time. You know, Brexit was awful because we we made a lot of our products in, in Europe and so when it happened the fx rate plummeted, the pound got really weak against the euro, so everything got really expensive. It went up by, like, 30% all of our cost of goods, like... Or COVID, I mean, actually, a lot of our... our we actually... A lot, a lot of volume kind of pushed through actually as a result of covid we had a huge surge in demand but
1: but even and so and the drought like, and the drought and the drought of almonds you you know, <laughs> which is
2: also happening again at the moment oh, so like these things just constant and i think do. you start to realize that it's just kind of what business is like it is yeah. things that you can control the things that are in your control you can control the things internally but there will always be external factors that like our current thing is the really the legislation that's coming out around that Boris is pushing around um high fat sugar salts which is really not a sexy thing to talk about but it's changing all the kind of impulse confectionery rules around the UK and it's stuff like that where you just you can't control all these external factors you just have to make good decisions once you've found out about them so it's just the the way things crumble or the cookie crumbles isn't it
1: the the drought thing buckets when you model a business at the beginning, so you say, okay, this is, what I th- this is my best guess at what I think is going to happen. So for example, Buck is with you, you might say, okay, I reckon that I'll get hired to do five podcasts in the first month, 10. 10- mm-hmm. So you make a little business model like that. Mm. When Pippa did that at the beginning, and she was saying, I, can't, I haven't done this before. How, how should we do it? And I was like, oh yeah, I kind of done a couple of these. So we'll work it out. You, you build in, when you model the cash, you, and you think, how much do you think I'm going to earn? How much do I think I'm going to spend? You, you put leverage in so that you think, so, okay, we think that almonds are going to cost this much per kilo, mm. but the price could go up. Mm. It could go down. So we need to make the business model work, even if it, almonds get really expensive. And I think how much did we factor in? You know, worst case scenario, the price of almonds could go up by like mm. maybe 5% or 10%. How much did the price of almonds go up? Oh, God, it was huge. I think they went up by about 30%. Um, but the problem so for a good year it didn't and a half, rain we didn't make- in California,
2: yeah, any money on our almond butter for about a year and a half whilst we rode it out so yeah another another story to tell on that. and it was
1: literally because it didn't rain in california where the almonds grow buckets there was just a drought and, and you it just, just no got con- dry. no dry, control over no and you're just whatsoever. watching the news you're on the iphone looking at the weather app looking to see when it's going to rain just didn't rain <laughs>
2: It's a really funny one when you talk to friends about it because they'll be like, oh, how's Pippin Nut going? And you would just be like there, so head cute. in hand. It's, so it's like, great. Yeah, so great. great.
0: <laughs> it's just not raining in California. <laughs>
2: exactly. It's such a niche issue, isn't it? Like, like nobody really probably pays attention to. The, uh,
1: the world of founders and things like that has really kind of changed since you started Pippin mm. Nut. Are there people who you sort of follow and, you know, look up to? Any of the sort of like famous ones? um I think
2: I don't know what do you what do you treat as famous um I think there are lots of um amazing businesses that I do look up to and follow and think oh they're they're doing amazing so uh, a couple of examples Ed Perry from Cook um he yes, I, I just yes, he yeah, is agreed. amazing really down to he's, when you talk about leadership like he's the sort of leader that I really respect because he's he is, He says he's, he's just so down to earth. Like he doesn't he doesn't bullshit. <laughs> he talks about all the things that are going wrong really honestly, and I just really love that candid kind of nature. His nature, and he's also runs this amazing B Corp business that is like humongous, whilst also really they're like completely net zero um, closed loop system in their factories. They employ people that in their factories that are ex convicts, so they help them get through um into employment and just stuff like that you're just like such a brilliant man but also really putting his money where his mouth is when it comes to doing business well so yeah he's a he's a really good example of a a business that i really respect but a person i
1: would love to follow in and also put what's really interesting about him i followed the business from the beginning. So do you know this business, Cook Buckers?
0: No, I haven't. They, no, they I make don't. basically
1: ready meals, but as well as you'd make it at home, like with natural ingredients and they're frozen and they're in freezers in lots of places like the co-op. <gasps> yes, um, I have.
0: I've seen Yeah, it. you've seen them, yeah. right?
1: Yes. And so um, when that business model came out in terms of like putting their own freezers in places that just had cooked stuff in, I just thought that just doesn't add up. Yeah. How are you going to do that? I just didn't. I just really didn't back the guy. I just thought no, that's just not gonna work, and he's totally owned it, and he's really kind of and even I love the fact that it's not just for posh people that yeah. it's that it's everywhere and that it's decent food so you know if it's kind of replaced meals on wheels if you had a neighbor and you want to fill up their freezer, and you're not a great cook. You can get you yeah. know it's nourishing high quality I just think they I think it's a great company. Yeah, also, a good so, many, so many brands
2: go after like millennials, Gen Z, whereas they yeah, are 100% yeah, yeah. for that older audience. Yeah, that they're think, just for
1: regular people.
2: So they're this sort of, like, sort of giant that you don't really know about. Well, not necessarily know, not know about, but don't necessarily think because they're as big as they are and they're doing so well. Um, so yeah, amazing business.
1: Yeah, that's a really good example. So they are a B Corp. Some do we say B Corp like the Peace Corp or do we say B Corp like B Corporation?
2: I say B Corp, say so like Corp. the Corporation. Let's
1: yeah. put the let's put the P in. Buckers, do you know what B Corp is? I know that it's good if you have it's it. good, and we're, we're going to yes. be one, Buckers. So you and me, we're going all the way. That is exciting. <laughs> Real work is just waiting to do our interview and become B Corp pending. We've done a lot of paperwork oh, to get there. Congratulations. We've done the first there. Thank you, and without sucking up. When you did it, it really did kind of flick a switch in my mind to think, okay, maybe I could. I felt like before then, so the the companies that had gone B corp in my sort of um, reckoning were was substantial. They were, you know, they're not big, humongous, but they're, they're might they were way, they were out of reach. And when you did it, I just thought, oh wow, maybe it's maybe it's for all of us tell us about mm. what how you made the decision to become a b corp and what it means to you
2: probably a bit similar to exactly what you're saying there i remember seeing a few brands that i really respected that i was like actually you know what um i'd love to kind of be aligned with them so i remember uh, proper corn or proper had just certified um ella's kitchen uh, um was one of the first b corps and i remember sort of um seeing that and, and digging into it and for me what well, i just I, I i guess when you're setting up a business you're thinking about a lot of the product like i said at the start but as you get into it you start to think a bit more wider about like what kind of business do i want to run what kind of legacy do i want to leave behind and actually i think b corp's such a good way to kind of um Use as a guide on how you want to kind of make sure you're using your business as a force for good. And that people, planet, profit model, I just think is just makes complete sense to me in the way that I am from a values perspective as a person, um, and therefore what I want to instill in the business. So yeah, I, I think it's a really good guide because I think often when you're starting something, you're like, I don't know what good looks like where, when it comes to maternity leave, as an example. I don't know what good looks like when it comes to um, salaries, like how high or low you know should the the lowest and the highest earner earn or stuff like that. And it, it gives you those kind of really good boundaries to operate in. And then obviously, you don't need to be an excellent at every single area, every single question that they ask. But you can start to cherry pick where you're really going to excel in as well as the brand. So yeah, it's a, it's a brilliant one, but also from a consumer's perspective, although I think it's got relatively low awareness, I don't think people really necessarily know what it is yet. I think it's starting to build. Um, and, and from an employee perspective, it is like the first thing that people say in interviews when they say, why do you want to work for Pippinart? And they're like, "Well, you your B Corp. And um, I want to work for a business that, you know, um, you know, puts people at the center of what they they do, and, and I think it's a really good signifier for people to be like, yeah, we really look after our team. Um, so yeah, I think it's so many things that it ticks the boxes for me. Um, but I think one of the really really important things to think about when you're either going through it or when you're certified and thinking about how you're going to um, continue on the journey is just to make decisions that are right for the business, not just to get the points. And that's the thing that's key is like really making sure that. Um, it's not tokenistic um, and sometimes the hardest things take a huge amount of effort but maybe to only get you a fraction of a score um, you know one point maybe on the uh, the 80 that you need so um, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't go and do it Um, so so for instance there are some things that we're deep diving on now that you know will hopefully set us up in good stead in the future but um, don't necessarily pay off so much when it comes to our B Corp score if that makes sense
1: so the way it works, Buckers, is B Corp is an, is an organization, a body, which it's like a licensing body, which may, it provides you an inventory, a checklist, and you go through all aspects of your business to see how it affects people, the planet. Mm. And um, so it's like a radical way of taking responsibility, and it's mm. thorough, it's complete, it goes through everything. And then you get to like school and for then,
0: schools, but Offsted for businesses. Yeah,
1: and then you work. Yeah. yeah, and you work through all of those things and improve. And when you reach a certain level, you can, you know, you get rubber stamped that you are mm. compliant. Mm. Um, the reason I th- I think it's really interesting f- for myself as well is that I've been doing a lot of work on um, um, personal privilege and. Mm. Um, diversity and what I've realized is that prior to the last few years there was a trend in in businesses independent businesses founders and which I was completely guilty of of thinking oh no like our company's ethical because I'm like really nice yeah right (laughs) And I probably did that at the beginning of real real work. It's like, oh my god, yeah, this is like a this is like um, a safe place, like for all like wherever you're from. Like it's because I'm like nice, aren't I? So it's fine. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I, yeah. I say that because I think I think I was guilty of that. And it was only when the Black Lives Matter movement really just rose up and conversations started being really cracked open. Um, that I started asking myself difficult questions and getting and asking other people those questions and getting difficult answers about myself Mm. and about the world that I just thought, Oh my God, that's just ego. That's just white privilege talking that I just think, Oh, I know best. No, don't worry. Yes. We're really ethical. You know, we're, we're super ethical and it's, it's, that was all my judgment that had just come through a lens of being white privileged, you know, went to a nice school, all that kind of stuff. And what So what I like about B Corp is while I'm in this state of flux, while I'm learning, assembling a team, you know, we've got in real work, we've got um, a people and culture lead, we've got, um, you know, a diversity and inclusion board, you know, we have systems in place and policies, while we're building all that, and I'm sort of realizing all the stuff that I don't know, I didn't know. B Corp gives me a, temp, a script to work from, a template mm. to work from, because I suddenly, with that realization about myself, and I was, you know, realizing that um, I had, um, that I was racist, you know, in some areas that I was, you had bias, unconscious biases, you know, and conscious biases, all those kind of things that, you know, w- we, we had to make sure didn't come out into my work um, and into the business. While I was sort of doing that, I thought, oh, something's going to, come up that I haven't even thought about because mm. I, so I realized how much I didn't know. And what I like about B Corp is it's so thorough and clear and strategic that it just, you just, it, it lays out, it lays everything out. And it so it gives you a feeling of safety. And also, yeah, I mean, a really extreme example of this is I've just been writing a piece, an article about um, WeWork. Mm. And do you know much about the story of WeWork? A little bit,
2: so, I know they're the kind of rise and fall,
1: yeah. So, the founder, do you know about this? Buckers, we work. There's an online, it was a, a co working space that In started America. the United, yeah, and it came yeah. over here. Um, there's a lot to learn from the story. My article is basically about what people like us can learn people from it, and this is the main lesson that you learn from We Work because this incredibly charismatic founder appeared like a sort of asteroid out of nowhere with this great vision he was even more charismatic than i am apparently and um
0: i don't believe it (laughs) i won't i won't have it
1: in my article i say i describe him and i say he looks a bit like roger federer if you scrunch your eyes up yeah (laughs) um, yeah well that's what he looks like roger federer with this if you just slide a bit on it the, um, and he came out of the blue saying, this is the future of work. Pam, it's going to be amazing. Pam, it's going to be amazing. All these investors chucked billions of pounds, millions and millions of pounds. And they, oh, and it all went great. And he had all these places. Wow, wow, wow. I've got this vision. going to come with me. It's going to be great. And, and people came and worked for him um, because they believed him when he said, you know, this is the future of work. And I'm going to build something that's going to change your life and be amazing for you what actually Mm. went on to happen was, you know, swings and roundabouts, all ups and downs. And he became very rich. And a lot of people worked for the minimum wage or less for a long time and didn't get any shares and then Mm. lost their jobs. And he, and the question, there's a lot of finger pointing with that saying he was a bad man, but he wasn't, he believed it. He believed Mm. he was going to do that at the time. He wasn't lying to them. He was telling his truth. And, but, you know, he was inadvertently getting them to invest their human capital in his dream with no mm. guarantee. And what I like about B Corp is it gives you a guarantee as you know the the, the human the normal human beings, you know, the graduates, the school leavers, the you know, who are coming in to work for you. They they the B Corp is your guarantee to them that you are doing what you say you are doing. Yeah, exactly that. It definitely holds you accountable yeah. as a leader. It's an insurance yeah. policy, and i and I feel like hopefully, if more people get on board with that, the sad story of WeWork won't happen again. Because there's a lot of loss in that story. There's a lot of people mm. who got who invested their human capital, their time, and their enthusiasm and their energy into it. And also, he he was doing a flurry times a million at the front because he was saying, "Yes, this is equality, a, a diversity. This is for everyone." And yet he was building a culture where they had beer, free beer on tap, and they were, like, chest bumping and, you know, staying up all yeah, night. Yeah, so um, bro culture. Yeah, bro culture, as they call it. And um, so, yeah, if you were, you know, a, a non-drinker, you know, if you are religious and didn't want to be around booze, if you were a parent and had to pick up in the school ground, you know, there was no... Accessibility for these people does feel like a place for you. Yeah, yeah. so they're saying it's. Di- I'm I'm at the front saying, yeah, I'm so diverse, but am I? And B Corp filters that out. It provides the yeah. structure around it. That's kind of the yeah. appeal about it for me. That's why I think it's really worthwhile. And the other, the flip side Pip as well is that we we open this conversation, you know, with noticing that your um, public profile is growing. And as mm. that happens, you're not someone who cultivates that. You don't particularly seek that out. But as it naturally happens, as your, as your um, business continues to grow and be successful, um, potent- you have the potential to sort of get, get cancelled and get stones thrown at you. So it's also mm. an insurance policy for you in terms of if people say, oh, you're this or you're that or make an attack. You can point to the sign over the door and say, well, we're a B Corp. And so we have procedures for that. Mm.
2: I definitely think it, um, it provides a team a bit more of a, uh, <laughs> they, can, they can point to it as well and say that like, if you're not really delivering upon something, because I think some the hardest thing about B Corp is actually maintaining everything. So you're trying to run a business, trying to grow, you're trying to keep investors happy, um, blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, you need to make sure you're you're looking after that triple bottom line. And it is actually a real challenge. It's like certification is one part and then it's the maintenance of all the things that you said that you would do and improvement of them. So it is a challenge, I'm not going to lie, but I think that's what makes it good because it is a stretch. It's never easy just to kind of do it. It would actually, life would be a lot easier if we probably didn't commit to half of the things that we said that we would, but certainly makes our business much more fulfilling to work for um, and makes me it inspires me, so I hope it does the same for the rest of the people that work in the business.
1: Of course, B Corp is a lot harder. It's a lot more of a commitment for um, companies when you make a thing because of your supply mm. chain. You know, I mean, it really yeah. comes into its own then. About you know, supply yeah. chain is just the 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 thing companies being required to take control of their supply chain is just such a massive thing that could change the future of the planet because it's mm. so bad in so many industries and so that's it's super for you to have it but that's a lot of work so with real work for example we don't have that because we're just a virtual in a tech company an online community so our potential work isn't it's just nowhere near what you you face
2: I don't know I think that it's just different isn't it like you talking about that diversity piece and I'm sure that lens is now applied into how you think about your community and really encourage like a a really interesting group of people in in real work but that is your probably equivalent of your supply chain I would have thought and just as hard Um, maybe. but yeah Whereas, I mean, yeah, ours is very sprawling because we've got product that is sold and made. So it's like, yeah, we're just doing our carbon footprint at the moment and we're setting our goal of being net zero by 2030. Good, good. This is um, exciting. And I I find this really, it really, I get really excited by it because even though we're a relatively small business, I hope, a bit like what you said about why you started becoming a B Corp is that I hope it inspires other people to take that leap because it is really intimidating and it is expensive um, to do, but I hope that, you know, at the end of the day, it will, it will, it will be the right thing to do for, as a business.
1: Like you say, planet's all we've got. So when I was, what I was about to say before that I forgot was that another of the things that kind of comes out of the big stories, like we work of male founders becoming very rich and upsetting lots of people is something we were talking about in real work this week, which is um, about the fetishization of extreme growth, about venture capitalist culture and growth at all costs. And B Corp feels, and culture building, and the kind of things that you were talking about, feel like um, the response to that. And, And it just feels great to hear people talking, instead of just saying, right, I want, you know, this I want to sell to them for this amount by this time, bam, bam, bam. And just saying, I remember talking to you about when sort of saying about, you know, exit, exiting. And I remember you saying, actually, I love, you know, I love this business. I want to be in this business and I want it to be right. And that's not on my mind. Just thinking, when can I just get rid of it before it all goes away? And it was (laughs) so great to hear that. It's not your ambition, is it? To just pass the ball and and start another one.
2: Yeah. No, I think, I mean, this has got my name in it, so I'm really entwined in it. I think at some point there might be moments to bring on um, partners that might help accelerate our growth. So definitely those are things on on in my mind if like we want to start really pushing out beyond the UK as one example, like actually to do that might require somebody that has some more expertise in that that can really accelerate it. So, but, you know ultimately this is some this is like my my equivalent of my baby like it's something that I really nurtured from day dot so um and I do have an investor so there will be a point where they may they will need to get a return but my interest of my investment in it
1: is still very much there and committed with it even at the stage that you're at though when you do more funding rounds I know you do a lot of fundraising you investors, you want to exit could exit in those rounds you can bring new people in and, and some yeah. people could go out there's all kinds of ways to skin a cat at this stage isn't there exactly yeah exactly that so maybe early stages we did a crowd fund right at the start
2: so maybe some of those guys might or, or girls might want to get out at that point so uh yeah we'll see there's nothing on the cards at the moment but um sort of yeah it I always, um, gets
1: brought up I always use as an example in this podcast there's more than one way to skin a cat and then I always think I must stop saying that because people who love cats must really hate that
2: <laughs> yeah I don't know what the how you could twist that to yeah, be yeah we but, need a different yeah. way there's more
1: than one way to skin an avocado although aren't avocados cancelled I'm not sure <laughs> we um we can't let you go without talking to you about the change to glass jars i haven't ordered mine yet i'm on the i'm on the claggy bit at the bottom of my plastic i'll send, pots you. Now. I'll
2: send you a load
1: <laughs> i love that it's all about the coconut and almond for my kid at the moment but um, yeah we're right down to, um, i i like the claggy bits at the bottom of the um plastic tub so i hope that it's it's not clag free in the glass situation. <laughs> no, there'll still be a little bit, I'm sure. Okay, good. Um, changing, it's so interesting. I remember at the beginning saying, oh yeah, you know, maybe glass jars, you know, when we're a bit further down the line. a small, Something that is perceived by a customer as a small request. <laughs> a small piece of feedback, oh, a piece of feedback, better bit glass jars. Could change your glass jars? <laughs> a glass. Maybe we have glass jars. We prefer it with glass jars. And um, the amount of times you've got to go, yes, we're working on that. Yes, we're doing Yes, <laughs> anywhere any in our glass jars. Logistically, what has it meant to change your products into glass jars?
2: uh oh, it's been it's been a headache. Um, it is. We work with two manufacturers, so it's changing all their sites. One of the factories didn't have glass in that site, so it meant that they had to completely reconfigure their whole factory to allow that to be handled on site because it's obviously a bit more of a riskier material um it took two years to get done and cost about half a million but you believe it or not um to do that full change and that that's (laughs) because that's a lot that's the thing it's not a small yeah (laughs) exactly i know it's eye watering maybe a little bit less than that because we brought it a bit under budget but um yeah it was a really big cost to change and um, we did a whole packaging refresh so, um we lined it also with like a kind of looking changing it and evolving our look and feel across the brand as well which hopefully it feels a bit more mature and and hopefully stands us in good stead for the future but yeah, it's just incredibly complex because um, oh, it's too boring to even go into the detail. But it's just because you're working with factories, then retailers, then you have to make those changes in store. So you have to kind of manage this whole timeline. Um, and retailers hate change. So every time you want to kind of switch something, and this was a whole delist and then completely relisting of our whole new ra- our whole range, uh, means that they all throw their toys out the pram and and say so they don't want it. They don't want to do it, or they can't do it. They can't do it, they can't do it when you want to do it. So you're just having to manage like effectively two businesses because you've got a whole new whole new range that you're trying to flow into into store whilst also trying to manage the removal of the rest so um really complicated and it's yeah it literally it's taken the whole team um so it's not a small thing at all and it is one of those things you're like it's just a bloody glass jar like come on it's just so simple (laughs) (laughs) exactly and and that's the thing but it's good like i think feedback like that like it is important obviously like the david attenborough effect (laughs) david attenborough effect like we we knew it was something we needed to address but i think if it hadn't been for consumers being quite so vocal and thanks to social media people can really be vocal um i don't know if we would have done it and then there's
1: the people who after you spent um a half a million bucks and two years of your life trying to give them what they want will say "But of course glass isn't as good as aluminium uh, yes, and I'll exactly. say yeah, it's only actually forty nine percent better for the planet than plastic. And you just like go, okay <laughs> that's
2: that thing Exactly. We actually find we made the decision, not just on environmental reasons. In the end it came down to the fact that our consumers want something in glass because it's more premium. It feels nicer to use. People want to get it out of their cupboard more often. So really the decision was less on the zeitgeist of glass was more on like from a value proposition, people prefer glass. And that is why, like, that was what was holding our brand back and why we decided to make the switch. So environment did play a big part in it, obviously. Um, But we know the complexity around carbon footprint glass is heavier. So it has a higher carbon footprint. plastic so it's not perfect but it is a a great material and hopefully better for our products so everything's specific isn't it it is to your business
1: what do you think about jeff bezos going to the moon no he didn't actually get as far as the moon did he He just got a few miles up and then came back and had his picture taken
2: Uh, that's ridiculous isn't it yeah i've seen loads of like different social posts around like you can either solve food poverty or go to the moon that's the kind of pressure they're,
1: they're under isn't it like as we as, yeah what do you make of it, that
2: it's 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 egos isn't it So they're, they're all megalomaniacs and and narcissistic so they all want to be like kings but yeah i think it's ridiculous i mean in some ways i get it like you know <laughs> maybe they're trying to find the route out of the of <laughs> out of here because uh climate change and all that but equally i just think it's just egos trying to like one up each other um but it's funny isn't it you know 30 years ago 40 years ago this was like uh, countries competing you know russia nasa and all that now it's the the amazons and the microsofts the bill gates you know it's it's funny how the world shifts with these huge companies now having more power than some states do i just think it's it's mad Mm.
1: scary again do you know about um tech singularity theory
0: no i don't tell me because you know that is um will it surprise you if i say no i don't do you know what a singularity is you heard that expression
1: a, singular, um, yeah. Yeah. a singularity is the point inside a black hole where the laws of physics run out and back from which no matter can return. So if you're a buckers and you are accidentally come towards a black hole, <laughs> oh, you're getting sucked in, or going back to the hoover, you're getting like a piece of dust into the hoover, there's a point in the black hole that nothing can ever return from. You're gone, Okay. That's a singularity. And the, there's the theory of tech singularity. That's apparently um, Massa, the guy who invested in WeWork, he's the um, chief executive of SoftBank, believes it. So some of these mega billionaires, Bezos people believe in, is that there's a point in the future when AI and, and tech will be so developed that it will be able to reinvent itself faster than human beings and understand itself more than human beings. So basically, the point when the robots are in charge. Mm, no, thank you. And that. so Buckers no, is you. like going to a
0: happy place. Go back to talking about peanut butter, please. <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> and um, yeah, they
1: just want to. They want to have a rocket to get to space for when that happens. Makes sense. But yeah. Okay. Peanut butter. What's your favorite? Fl- sorry, Buckers. You're right. <laughs> That's. That's, um, sorry, I've rocked yeah, you to I've, the corner. I've gone
0: in deep there, yeah.
1: I'm sorry, but it's okay because um, all of this stuff in the material world is just an illusion, and we're all just one being that's connected. Can and you just, yeah, just need it's to fine. stop
0: this now. What's your favourite flavour? Fleur? Come on, lighten it up again. <laughs> Getting more existential. Coconut and almond
1: buckets. What's your favourite? If you say it, Pippa might send you some.
0: I really like, the, just the one that we've got at the moment is just the normal crunchy one. Yes, I do have you in the cupboard, Pip. But I also <laughs> like, I just, I really like um, cashew butter and almond butter.
2: All right. We actually, you've, um, we don't have a cashew butter, so we'll have to make one for you. No, so that you I know can you don't. It, so. I know,
0: but you do an almond
1: one. Is it technically a nut? Is it a nut, cashews?
2: It is, yeah. <laughs> Peanuts are the only legumes. Um... What's my favorite? I I I eat our almond butter pretty much every day. The so gingerbread one.
1: The gingerbread one was good. It was yummy, wasn't it? Yeah, gingerbread almond. It had gingerbread Indeed. like ginger. Yeah, gingerbread almond butter. It was special edition. You probably missed it, but I didn't. I got it. <laughs> the, um, we're running out of time quickly. I am no longer in the food industry. I'm quite grateful for that because it's pretty intense, and my job <laughs> these days is a lot easier than yours. And so watching you succeed in it is fantastic. And I'm glad I'm not that in it. However, I will always have a secret love for um small independent food brands. Mm. And um particularly at the moment, the alt soda thing is doing it for me. Obviously yeah. Dolston, there are friends, I'm very keen on Dolston, their whole mission, they inspire me. But there's this one called Food. Have you have you seen this? F-U-D. F-U-D. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. such a great product. It's got natural yeah. caffeine in, so it gives you a bit of a wakey upy gently, but it's really low sugar. It's just got a tiny bit of ginger and pineapple in, and it's got B vitamins in. It's great. What you are love your... your
2: fancy drinks. I, I do, always yeah. remember coming to your flat in Soho yeah, and got I'd got open the fridge. Them, yeah. it, no food, never no, any food. No, Just Ops ridiculously soda. expensive fancy yeah. drinks. Yeah,
1: I really like that them.
2: flair style.
1: What's um? Let's do a little <laughs> shout-out, a purple nut shout-out to some of the... um brands that are on your radar that people should investigate? Mm, that's a good one.
2: Um, my good friend's Ugly Drinks. Yeah. Um, so if you're they're carrying on that America, server, right? They are. So they're probably bigger in the States now than they are wow, in the UK. Wow, amazing. Um, so really impressive guys. Um, what else do They I can love? help you build
1: out if you want to go to America.
2: Yeah, I mean, their founder's a good friend of mine. So, and that's, like you said earlier, like you know such a good network of people in terms of are so many food brands now you can always call mm. and pick up the phone to someone yeah. who else do i love god i'm gonna draw a blank now um i like, I like protein big... balls do you you still yeah, on I like that the... yeah, i feel like that, that was a bit you know three years ago Flair. No, I like <laughs> They've got
0: one mouthful one mouthful and it's gone Don't like i that. can't get on board i need i need more more to my snacks. i feel like i'm, I'm absolutely drawing a blank which okay, is well, really bad have a think and send them in and we'll put them in the show notes
1: i will do yeah just any of the people um connected also but as we're in the mood for shout out alternate like um planet safe cleaners that don't ship water around the world i'm really banging to that spruce um a real workers founded this business called spruce which is just incredible and you just buy a, yeah, a sachet brilliant. and put it in an aluminium can
2: yeah really, I really I do love that those sort of innovations. I don't know if you've seen wild deodorant so like no. the refillable um deodorant where they come in like you buy a tin and it's sort of a tin sort of outer I and then you it. buy the do you yeah. and it's really great yeah, I keep getting they've got targeted the one it's
0: so good
2: yeah have I you... like you'd love that because it reduces plastic so I would um, I'm very have a look at
1: it although I am deodorant free these days oh you? okay yeah freestyle you know, when I stop wearing it I stop needing it how does that work or so she says it's true. I haven't I haven't had a date for a while. So I guess.
0: <laughs> haven't tested it. <laughs> what flavor? What, did you stop using it because you don't... I just stopped. Or... I just thought... I just have this thing of like
1: sense checking all products. And think, Do I actually need this? Why am I buying this? Because someone told me in the 80s that I needed deodorant. Like, And then I just stopped and then nothing happened. So I thought, yeah, great. One less thing to think about. I just try um, and simplify yeah. those things. Wear good fabrics you know yeah I really I really just try and streamline everything so mm. but you know other people everyone's armpits are different so mine yeah. might just be like Roger Federer's they just don't sweat <laughs> <laughs> they glisten <laughs> thank you for being with us and giving up your precious time one thing I've really noticed Pip to end on a on a um, an observation one of the things that you struggled with at first or didn't struggle with that I dug you out about was that you worked too hard that you were you were just like not you know you were like doing what do they call it in um, China like um, 10 10 6 working 10 days Mm. 6 days a week and I was like don't be like that smell the coffee you know you're doing really well now every time I go on Instagram you're on a holiday I didn't mean (laughs) take that many holidays it's quite annoying now (laughs) Like, all right pip he's in the office maybe you want to get back to the office <laughs> i'm
2: just you know working that whole flexi work you know milking it
1: no, you've got to take breaks you really do more more breaks and um less work that's the message for everyone
2: yeah absolutely
1: yeah. thank you so much for bringing our guests on the podcast it's been a delight as always
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's so nice to chat to you,
1: as always. It Aww. always is great
2: to chat to you, Flo. See you soon. See you
1: soon. That's the end of this week's episode of The Real Work Podcast. If you want more from me before the next episode or you'd like to learn more about real work, you can find me on Instagram and YouTube, where I share experience and advice... For women who want to work and earn on their own terms. My Instagram handle is at doreal.work and on YouTube it's real work, all capitals, all one word. Please rate and review this podcast if you know how. <laughs> and tell people about it. It all helps. Thank you for being here. See you next time great that's another one in the can have we we're recording twice next week aren't we
0: yes yes we are okay good yeah
1: thanks for sorting out today even though i wasn't at home i know it's a bit difficult that's all to right to get together you know every yeah i'm pleased with how it's all going though so thanks for your oh there's um and there's some awards coming up which we need to think about obviously the podcast fun it's fun to make but obviously you know it's it's there for a reason yeah. for a business reason yeah. and so we need to think about um awards and can i have your support with that to um start getting that moving yes
0: yeah i'll um i'll start listening back to episodes and putting best bits together and um Wait, and uh, we can write them well, it'll be a good it'll be a good you
1: know be a good learning thing for you as well because once you've done that for ours when your podcast is ready to do that you'll you'll know how to do it so hopefully you know it's a useful thing to do as well
0: yeah yeah absolutely i mean well, actually um our podcast has just been nominated for three awards actually at the um the podcast awards. So um so that's really fun.
1: That's that's already happened.
0: Yes. Yeah, we entered a couple of months ago and yeah, the other week we got a nomination for um best comedy podcast, best female hosted podcast and they've put us in for the people's choice as well. So um yeah, if you've got time, actually, maybe I could send you the link and you could maybe um, vote for us, perhaps. See if we could okay. um, win, win an award for my podcast that I do. For, my friend. for being the, the funniest. Yeah, that would be good, wouldn't it? <laughs> only if you have okay. time, though. Like if, only if you have time. Of course I have time. I'm happy for you. If you want to make a podcast that your audience will adore But the thought of making it yourself terrifies you to the core Then you know who to call
1: Producer Buckus,
0: she knows just what to do Producer Buckus, to make your podcast dreams come true She used to work in radio, where she was polypedio And dab hand at audio Find Producer Buckers on Instagram at Decibel underscore creative or click the link in the show notes. Come on, everyone. Producer Buckers. If you want to hire the best. Producer Buckers. Just put it to the test. Producer Buckers. Just press record. And she does the rest. Producer Buckers.